This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. I remember a number of years ago, a man giving me this piece of advice. As a matter of fact, I think about it often, it was good advice. He said, never take advice from a person who's not been successful in what you're trying to do. Well, I want to talk about some advice today. God's advice for youth. God's advice. And I know His is the best that you can get. Stay tuned as we discuss that today. I want to welcome you to Getting to Know Your Bible. My name is Billy Lambert, and I want you to know that we're delighted that you're watching Getting to Know Your Bible today. And today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course we want you to have the course that you might know more about it, that you might know how to receive the course. We're going to take just a, a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I want to read to you today from the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to be reading out of the 11th chapter. And we'll be looking at verse 9 and verse 10. And then I'm going to read verse 1 out of chapter 12. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Know that for all of these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity." Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. I don't know of anything that is of more concern to us than our children. Every good parent, every sane thinking parent wants the best for his or her sons or daughters. We, we want them to grow up to be productive citizens in, in, the, in our society, and we want them not only to have the best on this earth, but we want them one day to go to heaven when life is over. We want our children to do the best they can. You know, Solomon uh, talks about that, about youth, in these three little verses that I've read to you. And, and what young people ought to do. But you see, Moses a long time ago told parents what they should be doing. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, just one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the words that I command you this day shall be in your heart. 
And so there are a couple of things that I'd like to mention by way of introducing our thoughts today about God's advice for children. And that is that we ought to teach our children about God, that God is, that God is real. God is not the figment of imagination. God is not a myth. Not, God is not like reading a fairy tale. God is real. He is the creator of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He is the great designer of the universe. The very fact that there is design in our universe suggests a designer. And the Bible tells us that that great designer is God. Not only do we need to teach our children about God, but we need to teach them that they are to love God and to obey God. Teach that you're to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Now Solomon was well aware of all of those things, but when we come to our text, we, we find Solomon at the close of his life, looking back. And, and I don't know of anyone, anywhere, who ever had more experiences in life than did Solomon. I mean, he just ran the whole gamut of it. He, he just did it all. He was a king, but not only was Solomon a king, he was the son of a king. Solomon was a wise man. He asked God to give him wisdom. And he was the wisest man in the world in his day. And then God gave him wealth. It is said in the Bible that he made silver to be of stones in the streets of Jerusalem. He was so wealthy. Can you imagine a man with all this wisdom, all of this wealth? That was Solomon. But he did not always use it to the very best advantage. And now he's come to the close of life. He looks back upon his life. You see, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is on a quest to find out what a man should do all the days of his life. That's in chapter 2 and verse 3. He tried everything under the sun. And he found out as a result of all of his quest that it is life above the sun it is life with God that really matters. I, I see people today that are trying everything under the sun, just like Solomon did. They, they're going after a wisdom, and they do that through educational processes. That They're going after wealth. They'll do every, anything they can to make another dollar bill. They're, they're just, some are just obsessed with it. And then they're, they're trying all kinds of things that are pleasurable, and Solomon did that. He tried wine. He had men singers. He had women singers. He tried building gigantic uh, buildings. And he is the one who constructed the temple that's referred to as Solomon's temple. He, he tried it all. But he came to the close of life and he said, All of everything that you try to do under the sun is vanity. It is vanity and it's vexation of the spirit. And it is only when you look above the sun, when you look up to God, that you find real fulfillment in life. Now, as we think about that, let's listen to his advice to all people, especially to those who are young. And this is the advice of an old man who found out that real living is not found under the sun, but it's found when you look up to God. Now, these are three things that Solomon says to youth. First of all, 
In verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. You know, the days of youth ought to be the happiest time of life. But, but I see some young people who don't seem to be very happy. They, they have frowns on their faces. They seem so forlorn. They seem so unhappy. But it ought to be the happiest time of your life. And that's exactly what Solomon says. I want you to know, young man, you ought to rejoice in the days of your youth. But now today, where, where is the realm or the sphere where we're going to be rejoicing? Where can we find real happiness? And I'd suggest to you that that sphere or that realm where we find real happiness is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. I think this command was repeated because it, it's a difficult thing for people to grasp sometimes. That they're to, to, to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think an example of man rejoicing in Christ is in the 8th chapter of Acts. And there was an evangelist in Samaria by the name of Philip who had been preaching the gospel and people were obeying Christ through believing on him and repenting of their sins by being baptized into Christ, Acts 8 and 12. But he was instructed to go down to, the, to, to encounter, have an encounter with a man who had been to Jerusalem to worship and he was on his way back home to Ethiopia. And we refer to him sometimes as the Ethiopian eunuch. And, and so Philip came to his chariot side. He saw he was reading the Bible. Actually, he was. And the way our English Bibles are divided, he was reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. So Philip asked him the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the man wasn't offended by that. Well, he even said, how can I unless someone guides me? Somebody's got to help me to understand. Uh, so Philip got up in the chariot with a man and he started preaching to him. Acts 8.35 says he, uh, that he preached unto him Jesus and he preached to him out of the very chapter the man was reading. That's the way our Bibles are divided. It was Isaiah chapter 53 about verses 6 and 7. And so he preached unto him Jesus and they're riding along in this chariot and, and the man says, now here, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? Philip said, you can if you believe. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away that the eunuch saw him no more. And, the, and he, that is the eunuch, the man had just been baptized, did what? He went on his way rejoicing. Question, why was he rejoicing? He's rejoicing because now sins had been washed away. You know, Saul of Tarsus in Acts 22, 16 was told, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you really want to be happy, you must be in Jesus Christ. You must have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a penitent, confessing believer in Jesus Christ, you're baptized into Christ, according to Galatians 3.27 and Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. That puts you into Jesus Christ. Just like this man was baptized into Christ, and as a result of that, he went on, on his way rejoicing. Now, one of the reasons he went on his way rejoicing 
If you read in Romans 6 and 4, when you're baptized, you arise to walk in newness of life. You now are a new creature. You have been born of water and of the Spirit. So if you really want to be happy, make sure that you have the right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Do you have that joy right now? I read about a 23-year-old 23 young man who said, I'm fed up with life. I've tried it all. I've done enough to be an old man. Isn't that sad? Here he is, so uh, just, just feels as though there's no purpose for him to live. But may I tell you there is a purpose. Jesus gives you a purpose. Jesus Christ came that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. John 10 and 10. Jesus came and died on the cross that through His death, that His sacrifice, that we might obtain the forgiveness of our sins just like this man in Acts chapter 8. And Jesus Christ came that we might have the hope of eternal life when this world comes to an end. My friend, rejoice, rejoice, O young man, rejoice in the Lord. But now, that, that's the, just the first piece of advice we get from the Lord by way of Solomon. Now here is the second. Notice in verse number 10, Therefore remove sorrow from your heart. Now, what does that really mean? Well, if you're going to rejoice, then you have to remove those things that would make you unhappy. You have to remove those things that would bring you heartache. You have to remove those things that would bring you sorrow. So you've got to get them out of your life. He said, put away evil from your flesh. Even those things that would, would uh, cause us heartache in the flesh, that is, sins of the flesh, they have to go. If you want to rejoice in the Lord. In 1 Peter 2 and 11, that's where Peter said... Uh, uh, abstain, that means just to leave it alone. Abstain from fleshly lust that war against the soul. There are things that war against the soul of the young and the old alike. Things that are attacks upon us through the lust of the flesh. And so we need to abstain from those things. You know, God, God's such a good God. And he gave us a wonderful, wonderful physical body. David even said that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And we indeed have, haven't we? And when God gave us this physical body, he instilled in it everything that we need to live and to be happy. And to have a good life in this world. Now, in our bodies, God gave us a an appetite, several appetites as a matter of fact. And one of those appetites we call thirst. And it's perfectly normal for a person to get thirsty. Well, I just imagine you've been out working in your yard, mowing your grass, it's hot. Oh, it's a hot summer day and, and there isn't anything like sitting down with a good cold glass of ice water, iced tea to, to, to quench your thirst. 
But you see, that's normal, and God made our bodies that way. But now there are just some things that God doesn't want us to use to try to satisfy the desire called thirst. And one of those things would be ethyl alcohol, which is included in alcoholic drinks. See, God doesn't want us to do that. That's going to eventually cause some sorrow to your heart. So you're going to have to leave those kinds of things alone in your physical body. Now there's another appetite that we have that God instilled in our body, and it's called thirst. It's just, or rather, it's called hunger. And, and there's, that is, we have a desire to eat something. And, and it's a, it's a God-given desire. Now, we shouldn't overdo it. You know, Solomon said, if you're a man given to appetite, put a knife to your throat. I'm not sure that's a good way to lose weight. But nonetheless, we, we just don't want to in, overindulge in eating. But you see, there are just some things you don't eat to satisfy that desire. I would not recommend rat poison to satisfy the desire called hunger. There's a God-given way to satisfy it. And then in our bodies, there is also another desire, and then we often refer to it as a sexual desire. It is a God-given desire. It is not ugly. It is not dirty. It is only people who pervert it that make it dirty and ugly because it is a God-given desire in the human body. The world says to our young people today, just go for it. Do as you please. Use your body as you please. I've heard some say, just do the loving thing. Just do the loving thing. That means that you can just use that appetite, satisfy that appetite, cause sex any way you desire. But God says, wait. God says, not now, not while you're young, not while you're unmarried. You see, when you satisfy that desire called the sexual desire, the sexual appetite, outside the framework of the marital relationship, the Bible calls it sin. It doesn't make any difference what legislators may call it. It doesn't make any difference what people in Hollywood may call it. It doesn't make any difference what some young people may call it. God calls it sin. God says it is sin. And he says to avoid, in, in order that we might uh, control our appetite, we need to be people who exercise some self-control. And so those are appetites that God has placed in the body. Now here's what it comes down to. It comes down to what we do with our body. I want to read some passages to you from the book of Galatians. This is found in the sixth chapter. And it's found in verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth, listen to him now, he that soweth to the flesh, now, what does it mean to sow to the flesh? It just simply means that you just do whatever you want to do. You throw God's restraints aside. You throw God's commands aside. You, you don't take God's advice. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? It means to do what God 
tells you to do. That's at least one thing that it means. That you follow the teachings of the Holy Spirit, which is the Bible. You do what God tells you to do. And so if you want to really rejoice, you've got to remove from your life those things that are going to hurt you. They've got to go. Suppose you wake up one morning, you have a terrible toothache. Oh, it's just about to kill you. You just don't think you can stand that pain any longer. And you say, well, I think I'm going to the dentist and I'm going to see if he can do anything about the pain. And you go to the dentist and the dentist says, yes, I can. I can do something about the pain. I'm going to have to pull your tooth. Well, you see, you've got a decision to make now, haven't you? You, you can either continue to have that pain or you can have the tooth extracted. Now, what would you do? You said, I'd have the tooth extracted. Well, friends, there are things that cause us to have pain of the heart. There are things that stain our souls. There are things that will hurt us now and eternally unless we extract them from our lives. That's why he says, remove sorrow from your heart, put away evil from your flesh. Why would we want to cling to something that could cost us our soul? Why would we want to do things that we know that are in violation of the law of God? We're intelligent people. We know it's not right, and yet we want to cling to it. Suppose you went to the doctor, and the doctor says, I've examined you, and you have a tumor. I don't know whether it's malignant or not. Very likely is, but we won't know until we remove it. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you do? So suppose that tumor's in your, in your head. It's a brain tumor. I know of people who have them and have had them. What would you do? You say, well, I think if the doctor told me I had a brain tumor, I, I think I'd tell him to remove it. Why? I say, well, that thing might kill me. Well, now think about your soul. And there are things that we do that are like tumors on the soul that are like moral ulcers on our soul. And yet we want to leave them there day after day, month after month, year after year, refuse to give them up when we know that it's going to hurt us eternally. Remove those things. You'll never be happy till you get the things out of your life that come between you and the right relationship with God. God has some laws, natural laws, called the law of gravity. Suppose you decide, yeah, I'm going to defy the law of gravity. I'm going to get an airplane at 10,000 feet. I'm going to jump out of that airplane without a parachute, and I'm just going to trust God to save me. I can tell you one thing. God not, never promised to save a person who defied his law, the law of gravity. He's not going to save a person who defies his natural law. And he's not going to save a person who defies his spiritual law. We need to adhere to the law of God Almighty. So rejoice. Yes, indeed. But in order to rejoice, we must remove. But how do we go about removing? And that's where the third piece of advice comes in. Remember. Remember right now your Creator. That's verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your Creator. You know there are some things that are 
implied by that statement. Now, number one, it is implied that you have a creator, and indeed we do. Psalms 100 says that, that it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. So God is the one who made us. Psalms 95 and 6 says, Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. God is our Maker. You see. But it's also implied in that statement, Remember your Creator, that man knows Him. Paul said, That which may, may be known about God has been manifested unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. For when they knew Him as God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. You see, in order to remember God, that implies that you know about God, that you recognize His existence. But a third thing implied is that you may forget about Him. You may, we may not forget about God, or remember God. Uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 32 says that, can, can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? No. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. And if there is one major failing of the whole planet called Earth, it is a fact that we have forgotten about God. And I'd suggest to you that we need to remember God. We need to remember God now. And one of the reasons that we need to remember God and to remember God now is because we're not going to live forever. One other reason we need to remember God and to remember God now is because we are all candidates for eternity. In this great chapter of chapter 12 and beginning in verse five, uh, 6, uh, Solomon said, uh, Remember your creator before the silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is broken and the fountain. That's the cord of life one day is going to be severed. And man will go to his long home and the mourners are going to go about the streets. That's in verse 7. Won't you remember him now? Rejoice in Jesus. By, by removing sorrow from your heart, things that cause you to heartache and pain, and you remember him now. Remember him by obeying him. If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become one by believing on Jesus, repenting of your sins, confessing faith in Christ, by being baptized into Christ, I want to thank you for watching today, and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.